Welcome to the Get Cyber Resilient podcast. I'm Gar O'Hara, and this week we are joined by Chirag Joshi, Security Leader, Director for ISACA's Sydney Chapter, and author of Seven Rules to Influence Behavior and Win at Cybersecurity Awareness. During the course of Chirag's career, which spans multiple countries, he's created, rolled out, and successfully managed cybersecurity risk management and security awareness programs. He's done that through a solid focus on business priorities, being pragmatic on cyber threats, and engaging stakeholders. Chirag's an engineer, so he gets the hands-on tech stuff like networks, apps, database, end-user computing, but he's also got that deep practical knowledge of quite a few frameworks and standards. In his words, it's an alphabet soup of NIST, ISO, PCI, DSS, COVID, HIPAA, ASD, you get the idea. In the interview, we do focus on the cyber awareness aspect of his expertise and cover, amongst other things, the danger of being boring, what goes wrong when you rely on bad news to push cyber awareness, what context is important when building your cyber awareness program, how to use your allies in the organization. We talk through overlaying the SMART goal approach for solid outcomes in cyber awareness. We talk about the importance of persistence and consistence, and then maybe the most important piece of the puzzle, getting the support of senior management. Chirag's a high energy guy, and he's got lots to say on this topic, so please enjoy. Welcome to the Get Cyber Resilient podcast. I'm joined today by Chirag Joshi, uh, who is an author of the book, Seven Rules to Influence Behavior and Win at Cybersecurity Awareness. Welcome to the show, Chirag. Thank you, Gar. Pleasure being here, and uh, a big hello to your listeners. Yeah, it's good to see you. We crossed paths it's a few years ago now, and um, I think we were actually yeah, in a meeting together at one point discussing cybersecurity, and then I saw you, um, I think it was just after a talk at one of the conferences, so uh, it's good to cross paths and finally get to chat on the uh, the podcast. Absolutely. Uh, time flies. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly does. Um, do you mind just kind of running us through how you got to where you are today? You've obviously got a, a fairly varied and wide career and, uh, you know, culminating in, in writing a book, which is incredible and congratulations on that. Um, but can you just kind of run us through your kind of journey to, to where you are today? Sure. Uh, thank you for the congratulations. So while I became or officially became a cybersecurity author last year, uh, I've been uh, building, implementing and managing cybersecurity risk compliance and awareness programs for over a decade, uh, primarily in Australia and the United States. So I started my career in the U.S. uh, after getting my master's in telecommunications management. Uh, So I started off in more technical roles, so building uh, and managing systems, uh, running firewalls uh, and other security solutions, uh, and then, you know, got involved with PCI DSS in its early formative days. Uh, and then slowly uh, through the years progressed into, you know, more organizational wide governance and risk rules. Uh, and, and I guess uh, when I think about my career, uh, I did not plan it exactly the way it's panned out. And actually, that's a good thing because, you know, cybersecurity evolved dramatically in the in the last 10 years. When I started out, it, the word cybersecurity wasn't really a word. It was uh, information security and previously IT security. So it's gone through a few iterations. Uh, but from a personal perspective, you know, I've really worked with a lot of different uh, frameworks. Uh, so back in the U.S., I used to uh, be a HIPAA security officer. So for the folks not familiar, HIPAA is a United States uh, law that, you know, relates to protection of health information. Uh, so that was that was rather interesting. And then, you know, obviously with PCI DSS and other compliance frameworks. So after moving to Australia, 
you know, I've seen uh, NIST uh, cybersecurity framework get a lot of traction here. Uh, and the good thing was I'd worked extensively with that in the US. So I think the timing just aligned nicely with, with me being in this country and, and working on those initiatives. Uh, but when I think about cybersecurity, for me, it's, it's really a, a passion uh, in the sense that I believe that it really enables human progress through trust in technology. I think the world we live in right now, and especially you know, in aftermath of, of COVID and the pandemic, uh, in the midst of which we are in right now, for organizations to work remotely and for us to sustain this level of productivity while still keeping our sanity, uh, being in touch with family and friends, wouldn't be possible without technology. And, and this wouldn't be possible without trust in technology. So I think security plays a, a significant role in that. Uh, so it's, it's, it's been a, a big part of my, my interest, not just from a career perspective, but also from a personal perspective. Uh, and hence why, you know, I do a lot of talks, presentations, conferences, and the book was kind of born out of, of that, uh, that idea as well. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's a bit of my experience and the motivations uh, for my cyber career. Uh, recently, I've also taken up uh, a directorship with Isaka Sydney chapter. Uh, and ISACA is a, is a global organization for uh, IT audit, uh, risk, and security professionals. And, and it's played a pivotal part in my own growth. You know, when I started pursuing certifications in industry, uh, started off with uh, Certified Information Security Manager, uh, and then CISA, which is around audit, and then C-Risk, which is around risk management. You know, it's, it's been a, a, a key part of my growth. So that's another part I, I, I talk about when I talk about my career. Fantastic. And as you say, the, the book came out last year and I really like the layout of it because I think it's sort of, I'm a big fan of kind of um, call them structured sort of approaches to a problem. Um, and it definitely feels like that is is kind of your approach, which, you know, kind of definitely bought into and you actually open with the idea of stop relying on bad news, which I'm, I'm really bought into. If I um, if I was on Twitter, I would have been part of the no more hoodies hashtag when that was going around. <laughs> it's just it's one of the yes. most yeah silly kind of uh, memes I think that exists in cybersecurity. But your your overall message there I think is really important, which is the the power of positive news to affect change versus the negative kind of approach. How do, you, how do you think leaders can change or pivot into using more po you know positive approaches to to get good uh, cybersecurity awareness outcomes? Yeah, that's, that's such a key point, Okar. I, I I'm very I feel very strongly about that point uh, because I I really feel the cybersecurity industry as a whole fell in a bit of a groupthink uh, where we started relying on on fear and uh, negative news coverage to promote cybersecurity. And look, I, I, I get the idea behind it. Uh, and obviously, there are incidents and, and key you know, developments they need to be reported. But that's not the point. The point is us relying exclusively on that fear factor. And, uh, you know, and, and, and most of your listeners probably know this, uh, but a vast majority of cybersecurity incidents happen because of human errors and mistakes. Uh, that's the key part. So I've always said cybersecurity is fundamentally a human problem. And we need to see how human beings learn to solve this problem. A lot of money is being spent on cybersecurity awareness and has been spent over the past few years. And we haven't seen a substantial change in human behaviors. So clearly something's off. And that, that was uh, my point of, point of view. And then I came across some really good research while I was researching for my book. And this was by 
Dr. Tali Sherrod uh, out of UCL in, in the UK. And this talked about, you know, how human beings learn from good news versus bad news. And by bad news, I mean warnings, you know, uh, things like negative news coverage and, and, and good news, which leads to positive reinforcements, aspirations. And what, what came out of that was, you know, humans uh, learn well from good news all through their lifespan. From a young age, you know, uh, in, our, in, our, in our teens, all the way till, uh, you know, up to 70, 80. And uh, the impact of bad news, while is, is reasonable, you know, in your 20s and 30s, drops dramatically after midlife. And, and, and if you look at all major statistics and reports, you see that people who end up becoming victims of cybercrime and lose most amount of money to cybercrime tend to be older folks. And there are obviously reasons for that, you know, ranging from the, from where they are at this point in their life, uh, you know, with families, potential losses of partners, uh, you know, more disposable income, lack of uh, lack of inherent uh, technology uh, upbringing, I guess, in some ways. Uh, so I think those factors contribute to it. Uh, so that was the genesis of, you know, we need to move away from bad news. And, and when it comes to how do we use good news? Well, look, I think there are there are very some clear ways and, and I've kind of laid them out in the book. We don't have to start, you know, promoting a false sense of euphoria around things. I think we can just talk about what we have essentially started talking about is how technology has helped us uh, in, in our lives and how it continues to change the way our civilizations work, how we communicate better, how we collaborate better how we can actually do business in countries where we wouldn't have been able to unless we were physically there. So to sustain all of this, we need to ensure that people can trust technology, people can stay secure online. And if we start with, you know, what the positive intention is of the organization, what are we trying to strive for as a company? And most companies have that. They have their missions, they have their values, they have their strategic objectives. And then tying how security tangibly plays a role. It's not just lip service to security. Oh, we need to be secure. We need to protect against attacks. Not really. For us to sustain as businesses, we need to ensure that we have security. And and all of us have a role to play. Uh, what happens is when we start scaring people too much, people... There's a, there's a term which is used in sports, which is choking under pressure. Uh, mm. People choke under pressure and, and fear causes us to freeze. It does not strive us to take action uh, or positive action anyway. And, and that's, that comes from positive aspirations. It also comes from having a sense of control around things. If we can control some outcomes and we believe we can control outcomes, people generally will act towards it. So giving people some meaningful things to act towards and, and showing how that contributes to the overall success is a key here. And that, that really comes down to the aspect of, you know, if you move away from bad news and fear and actually have positive motivations and, and specific things that put people in control, we can, we can start tackling some of these real cyber issues. Absolutely. And one of the other points there I would say is, is certainly being positive and, and that, um, yeah, I mean, if you look at the, the people who train animals and, you know, and fundamentally we are animals, they use clickers and they figure out what the animal's motivation is. It's often food. So, you know, with a clicker and the right f sort of motivation, you can trace mo train yeah. most animals to do the right thing. So it's it's not hitting them. It's not fear. It's positive motivation. And that's what professional change, uh, sorry, trainers would do. And the other part of this. Have you seen that? 
Absolutely, yep. and you've seen that through other, you know, other other uh, areas, and that's that's part of my my thinking around the book. Also, was that we need to think of areas outside of IT and cyber, and exactly what you just mentioned is an example of that. People have solved these problems in other areas. This is not unique to us in terms of how to change behaviors. Uh, this is being done well in public health campaigns. They've evolved over the years. Uh, we have a lot more data now from neuroscience and behavioral psychology that we didn't have previously. And all of that talks about these issues. And, and that's where this comes from, uh, where I still see, you know, people uh, come and, and the feedback I get is, well, incidents and cyber attacks get attention. And, and that's fine. It gets attention. But does it sustainably change behavior? And the answer to the previous, the first one is, yes, gets attention, but does not change behavior. At least it hasn't yet. Yep. And that is, that's kind of the key point. And you talk in the, the sort of second rule about don't be boring. And which I 100% bought into. I think it's, I don't know if you've those that thing I've I've done at talks where uh, I use a printout from a CISO, uh, you know, a, a pretend CISO with tips yeah. on how to be secure, change your passwords, don't leave your laptop open. But it's it's you know a traditional missive that you would see from a security professional, very wordy. And um, the idea is that I put those on the seats before the talk, and in one of the bullet points it says. If you've read this far, roll up the piece of paper and throw it at the stage when you see the picture, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it's a, an amazing moment in the talk because, you know, some people stand up and throw this piece of paper, but everybody else and most people haven't read the wordy security bulletin. So there's yeah. this beautiful moment in the talk, but I think it, it sort of perfectly, to me, sums up the problem with a lot of security awareness training and programs is that they just don't stick in people's minds. Where do you see it going wrong? Well, I, I think uh, it, it goes wrong when you have primarily security people and, and technology people, and I don't mean to to denigrate uh, the intelligence and you know, general capabilities of our, of our professionals. It's really the idea is when we have people who we assume understand this intuitively, uh, write content, I think that's where we start going wrong. Uh, we are not writing it or we are not producing content or creating awareness content that is looking at it from a completely layman's perspective. We don't need to insult pe people's intelligence uh, by, by dumbing the message down so much that it does not have any resonance. At the same time, we need to reach out to people in a way they can actually understand and absorb the information. Uh, people's attention spans are diminishing and they've been diminishing consistently. You will see all studies on, you know, our human attention span now is close to a goldfish, which is, you know, a few mm -hmm. seconds really. And that is, that is progressively worsened over the years. So even if something worked 10 years back, it's not going to work now. So that's, that's the, that's another area. The, the thing around boring content also, I feel, is just sheer laziness, uh, is, you know, repurposing a lot of content which was developed, you know, like I said, way back. We see, we still see, you know, hoodie wearing pictures we've joked about. We still see code from, you know, similar to the movie Matrix, which was in the 90s now. It's close to, <laughs> close to 20 odd years and we still use imagery like that, which, which, which just is not going to resonate with people, uh, you know, who are just trying to practice secure behaviors. Uh, the other bit I feel is a bit of a scattershot approach in in how we've talked about cyber. We try to throw everything in the kitchen sink and just try to communicate everything. Whereas if we truly get our messaging right, if it's it's interesting, it has a nice image, if it's invoking emotions in people, and if it's targeted to something specific that we need to get out of them, I think that's where the value is. 
we, I don't think in today's time we are seeing a lack of awareness. People are generally aware or more so than they were previously. What we are seeing is lack of application of that knowledge. And, mm. and that comes with, with, specific, uh, with, with specific messaging, which is targeted to the key risks that matter to us. Uh, I also think there are ways we can improve the whole, you know, don't be boring idea. And that's by competitions. We, we can actually have healthy peer pressure. And I've cited some, some, you know, some interesting case studies in the book, which talk about how, you know, the, in, in the UK, uh, the, the tax agency there was able to, you know, get more people to comply by just, you know, positive peer pressure. Uh, and the same with, you know, competitions when you run them and you actually are creating healthy competitions amongst the people. Uh, and the idea is to kind of make it fun and interesting. I think it works a lot better uh, than if you're just kind of putting out the one-way comms. Uh, mm. It needs to be it needs to be two-way. It can't be one-way. And so far, we've seen predominantly one-way comms coming out of our security teams and marketing team and corporate comms team with very little in the way of, you know, taking back from our people. Uh, and sometimes people are just uh, intimidated when they see, you know, security people telling them things to do. And we never really listen, right? I think that's the problem is mm. we are we need to listen better. Uh, people are not stupid when they make mistakes. They are human. And, and sometimes they have 50,000 things going on that we need to account for. And especially in this time, you know, where there are so many stressors on us beyond, uh, beyond just our work, I think it's even more so important that we listen to people and see what the concerns are and, and, and tailor our messages. And people, if we ask them properly, they'll usually come back and tell us. Yep, no, I totally agree with you. And, and you know, getting the messaging part is, is obviously critical. And the other part is... Uh, the idea, and in your book, you talk about the being smart in your approach, and you know, smart being the kind of uh, the goal setting um, approach. I think you said in the book it's from the '80s, and and it feels like it's definitely been around that long because I, I know I've been using it for for quite some time. But you know, uh, specific, measurable, uh, achievable, realistic, time based. Yep. Yeah. Relevant time bound. Yeah. It it they have a few versions of that, but they all kind of talk yep. about the same thing is you know setting the smart smart objectives smart goals and look i think it's really important when it comes to cybersecurity awareness specifically awareness training culture uh, because I, I for far too long we've run cyber awareness programs based on intuitions and you know what's the right thing to do and and throwing everything at the uh, you know at the problem in terms of you know even people who 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 have better awareness programs in terms of, you know, doing phishing simulation campaigns or, or doing training, still haven't really tried to figure out what is the key outcome they are trying to get at. And, and that's what I refer to in, in this rule is by using the SMART methodology, we can actually get to achievable outcomes. An example of that is, you know, after three months of, uh, of, of, of training on identifying suspicious emails, uh, the click rate in the organization will drop below 10%. Very simple example, but just showing you that this is very specific. You know, it talks about a use case that is identifying suspicious emails. It's a time bound, it's three months. It has a criteria of being measurable because it's just 10%. You know, you're trying to get below that. If you start with that, you can, you can focus your energies on primarily, you know, getting that outcome. The other thing is, I think we need to move beyond just, you know, click rates and, and click rates implies, you know, number of people who click on uh, phishing emails. 
we need to move beyond that actually into more into reporting as well. How many people actually recognize and report those emails? Because that's that's another factor which is more positive, I guess. You know, it's not just you recognizing and clicking on stuff, but are you helping your mates? Are you being a good, you know, corporate citizen by reporting malicious and fraudulent activity? Uh, so that's another angle we can take. So I feel those are really important because they also force you to tie different things. They force you to kind of introspect closely what are the key cyber risks that each unique organization faces? And, and while some of them are consistent, some, some are really different for different organizations depending on the space you operate. If you're an e-commerce company, denial of service is massive for you. If you're a small you know, health clinic which just has a static website telling you hours of operations, well, maybe not as much, right, uh, in terms of revenue. Uh, so I, I think it's a, it's a combination of those, of those factors. So... Uh, that's where the smart objective comes in. And, and this is also, I mean, when I talk about awareness and, uh, and education, it's, we sometimes feel that this is all rocket science. It's really not because, you know, for our anti antivirus solutions, for other security solutions, we've had this for a while. You know, if a lot of viruses are, are you know, uh, coming through despite our malware protection solutions, well, something's off and we know, we know the metrics for that. So we need to look at cybersecurity awareness and training in the same way and not run it on intuition and, you know, just broad objectives without specificity. Yeah, and I totally agree with that. And in the, the, the book, you have the question, what happens if the awareness prog program doesn't meet its objectives? And I think that's a really interesting way to think about it because I think quite often that's just never a consideration, you know, but th there is there's an impact if, if we don't get this stuff right, if it's not done well, there's an actual material impact to the organization, to the business. Yeah, absolutely. And look, that's, that's where it comes down to being part of a holistic cyber risk management process, right? So we need to view awareness as a key control for certain cyber risks. And if this control is not working effectively, we are more exposed to those risks. You know, we talked about phishing, that's an obvious one, but just in this, uh, uh, the times we're talking, Gar, we've seen, some significant cyber attacks hit uh, a few major organizations recently, and a lot of that attributable, attributable to um, uh, ransomware. Uh, and, and, you know, again, a lot of information is not available, but it's fair to assume that a lot of, uh, you know, attacks start with a phishing email or a phishing message. And as we get beyond phishing, uh, we start thinking about deep fakes, where people can actually fake, you know, videos or fake audio, uh, 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 people's voices, you know, CEO faces uh, and recordings, I think that becomes even harder. So that's where I talk about, you know, the impact of this could be really, really severe if we don't look at awareness as a key control for specific cyber risks. And, and also, yeah, I'll they, just throw in one more thing there. I mean, a big problem facing is budgets, right? I mean, and I think if you're not able to justify investments in this space, you run the, you run the risk of not supporting the program. And too often, you know, so far, because everybody is kind of worried about the cyber postures, we are seeing investments, thankfully, coming in this space. But at some point, boards will start to question uh, more and more on the return we are getting. And if we haven't tied awareness back to those objectives, I think it becomes harder to justify. Yep, no, 100% agree. And one of the things is the that idea of, you know, one size barely fits all is the, the name of the chapter, but it's that idea that we maybe have an over-focus on vanilla training and rather than being kind of <laughs> contextual and, and tailored. And you've mentioned uh, things like fish campaigns is a really good way to, I think, test a, an end user base. But there is this idea that actually security is much broader and you've mentioned some of that already, but 
things like not plugging in a USB drive, not leaving your laptop unlocked uh, when you walk away, even if you're within a, a secure office. Like the the idea of culture and security is very contextual based on the type of organization, the size of organization, um, your role within that organization, which I think you, you cover in the book as well. Um, yeah. what, what are you like? What are your thoughts there in terms of like how to be much more um, bespoke, maybe, but much more targeted in terms of the training that's delivered, and then some of the practical things that organizations could do? Yeah, look, I think that's where uh, breaking down our our organizational cohorts or stakeholders is really important, and understanding what matters more to certain groups then others will help us kind of tailor training. So we've seen tailored trainings for a long time now when it comes to training, you know, system administrators or developers, uh, that's that's good. But what I'm really talking about is, you know, go beyond that. There are uh, There's a cohort in our organizations which is more frequently targeted or is more frequently at risk of, of accidental data exposure than others. Uh, these, these kind of typically uh, are folks in HR, finance, uh, executive assistance uh, for key senior leadership, uh, senior leaders themselves. And, and so we need to build out a, a risk profile that correlates to these stakeholder groups. And I think then delivering sharp training to these, these groups based on the risks they're more exposed to will resonate better. Because the, and you, you, you already addressed this, but you know, there's so much to discuss in security, uh, everything from using password managers to you know, uh, not connecting to public Wi-Fi for sensitive transactions. And at some point, people just get overwhelmed. And if mm. and that's another problem we face is over-communication. Uh, people can get overwhelmed and start ignoring us. So if you are, you know, if one of the one of the things that I talk about when it comes to role-based training is also just-in-time training. It, it needs to be available to people just in time that action is actually happening. So, you know, with executive assistance, I, I, I've said this before that, they are the gatekeepers to a lot of key data and a lot of key contacts. Uh, and training them on specifically social engineering type attacks, you know, goes a long way. And these folks also, uh, you know, handle calendars, uh, work in collaboration tools. So training them in those areas, you know, really helps uh, avoid that uh, data breach type scenario, especially accidental. So you, you take those aspects and then, you know, you kind of take it to, and, and that's where I think a stakeholder analysis is super important. And you, you might need to run a few focus groups within the organizations to get a sense of, you know, what, what people believe could be the risks which we haven't thought about. Like we are thinking top down, we're thinking from our perspective and from the industry, uh, what these key stakeholders are. Uh, but we might, as we kind of have more conversations, realize that we haven't, we have some blind spots we haven't considered before. And there's some business processes that are inherently not run in a secure manner and can just be addressed by a few training initiatives. And and as as we rely more and more on third parties and trusted partners to manage our systems, to collaborate with us, I think uh, this, this this becomes even more so important. Uh, and I talk about you know reducing friction in, in security. We need to start reducing the effort people have to go through. Everybody wants to do the right thing. Look, I don't think uh, you know most people don't want to do the right thing. I start with the premise, everybody wants to help. We just have to make it super easy for them to help us. And that kind of comes down to uh, us creating packages or creating trainings that are simple, short, sharp, you know, not more than a couple of slides if you want to use slides uh, and, and just give it to people when they absolutely need it. And, you know, having this boring, uh, long, uh, you know, 30, 40 minute training when people are, 
you know, just joining the organization and then just making them redo the training after every two years and we checking off a box, right? Uh, it's not going to work. And, and there are two ways to look at awareness and training. I feel the first one is informing and educating. The second one is actually influencing behavior. Most of the things we do is informing people. And I think we need to kind of move towards the second part more. And how does that play it in, in practical terms, in terms of the influencing behavior? Um, I'm bought into, I think in the book, you say like the messaging should, you know, should, should be simple. The length of a couple of tweets, I think it was the way you, you kind of made it real, um, which like to me makes sense. I think it's a, a big mistake that is made is that we, we include too much messaging in a single, you know, c- communication and it just gets confusing. It's overwhelming. As an end user, as an employee, you don't know which one you're supposed to do and you end up not remembering anything. So I, I definitely yeah. kind of buy into uh, to that. But in terms of, and you, you made the distinction between kind of, you know, knowledge and understanding, but actually then applying the knowledge, like what, what are your thoughts on how to actually get the the employees really practicing this stuff, you know, in a, in a meaningful way, physically locking machines, not, you know, doing the things that we talk about they know they shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Look, I and okay, I think this is this is the, the key point. I think this is the heart of the conversation in terms of how do we get people to do things. Uh, and look, I feel a, a way which I propose is making it personal to people, is making the impact truly real to people. Uh, and this starts with merge, and that's where I, I've talked about the idea of e-safety uh, in Australia, obviously, as an e-safety commissioner, and they do a great job. But the idea of online safety and the idea that safety and security are interlinked in today's day and time. Uh, what we talk about in our offices, be it you know physical security of our machines, devices, uh, patching, you know password protection, using password managers, all of that applies in people's private lives, and and every person in our organizations is a chief information security officer of their own homes because their families and their kids. Uh, you know, rely on them to practice secure behaviors. You know, even things like which we haven't talked about before, which are really important in today's time is, you know, just router security in people's homes, right? I mean, at the very least, go and, you know, refresh your router every few months, change your vendor default password, you know, things like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I think if you start making that connection and help people understand that if you keep them safe at home, they'll bring those practices into work as well. So I think that, that making it personal is really, really important. And also talking about it, talking about data breaches and privacy in more personal terms. So we, we, we all know that, you know, sensitive information, if, if it gets leaked out, can cause reputational damage, compliance, fines. But I think we also need to talk about the trauma and emotional distress our customers and our stakeholders go through when their, when their personal information is leaked out. Uh, and imagine if, you know, if somebody's uh, escaped a, 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 a domestic violence situation, uh, and now their their information is out in the public. You are exposing people to real physical harm, uh, and also you know if you have uh, older folks, people who are people who are unwell, and their health information is leaked out, and their personal information is compromised. I think if you kind of make these kind of connections, and then tell people it's not about this is not about fear anymore. This is about actually the personal impact to all of us. And then a couple of simple things we all can do to prevent that. People will relate to it and people will action that. I mean, once you kind of bring it in those terms and you make a very simple message on, okay, how can I help? I understand this. How can I help? Well, can you please not write down passwords? Can you please uh, just use a password manager? You know, I think that has a better traction than, than just using, you know, 
broad data breaches and you know reputational damage without making it truly personal for people. Yep. And uh, yeah, the password manager one, I'm, I'm, I'm slowly but surely converting everybody I know to uh, use password managers. Uh, I think they're, they're, apart from anything, they're just way easier to to go through life with and try to remember them all. So I'm, I'm, I'm on Hopefully board with that. Hopefully we, <laughs> we live in a world, uh, uh, you know, at some point where we won't need passwords. Uh, and, you know, but, but, you know, while that's a way, uh, you know, and that's where, you know, having multi-factor authentication or, you know, two-step verification for our services plays a key role because people will make mistakes with passwords. But I suggest, you know, password managers are getting better too. Some of them are just lifesavers in many ways, you know, they just make our life so easy. So I definitely recommend them. And that's it. And then security is a way to kind of remove friction, which I think is important. So you yeah. just mentioned um, getting help, you know, or how can I help? I think it was the sentence that you just said. And that's uh, potentially a thing that could be applied more widely in cybersecurity and the use of other teams within organizations. So one of the yeah. things that I personally believe is that you can be really amazingly good at security. That doesn't make you very good at messaging or communications. It doesn't <laughs> make you good at change management. Yeah. It just means you're an incredibly talented person at security. Um, well said. What are, like, from your um, perspective, like, what are some of the, the ways security leaders can change the outcomes that they're seeing through well, really what you describe as allies, um, but in, in the business yeah. or the organization that they work in. Yeah, look, I mean, security and IT, I mean, thankfully, we are now at a point where we don't have to say that word over and over that cybersecurity is a business problem, not a technology problem. I think most people understand that now. Uh, but it also now comes to, we need, we have people in in business who play very similar roles to what we play in cybersecurity. You know, part of it is also assurance. So we have some natural allies uh, when it comes to, you know, risk practitioners, audit professionals, compliance teams who just are, you know, part of the assurance crew. Uh, but there are also allies in, in corporate uh, communications, in marketing, who, who, who live and breathe in this space. Uh, they know how to target stakeholders. They know how to create catchy messages. And I think we need to take we need to take their help as much as possible. But we also need to kind of, you know, what I talk about is an approach of cheat sheets. And what I mean by a cheat sheet is, you know, can you kind of articulate a security message, you know, in just a simple five or six bullet points, which any team leader or a manager can read through before starting a meeting. So, you know, uh, I think that helps cascade the message better. And uh, security champions uh, initiatives, which are quite popular, you know, relates to having security advocates within the businesses. Uh, that, 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 that absolutely holds true. But I feel sometimes these programs fail because we haven't truly articulated what they're trying to achieve. Yeah, it's fine to have security champions, but what, do you really want to, what is the thing that you want to get out of them? And I think having these cheat sheets, having specific targeted outcomes help in those areas. So there are groups within the organizations you can, you can take assistance from. And I think legal HR are also key players in this game because they have a stake as well in this problem. So I think that's where we need to harness the power of allies and use them to cascade our messages. Because a lot of messaging already happens in organizations. We Security can just tag along on them. We don't have to create new channels all the time. I think if we create a message which is very simple, like all of the rules we've talked about so far is around simplicity and targeted messages. If you kind of create that, then you can take advantage of the existing channels. So that's internal allies, but they're also external allies. I mentioned ISACA, which I'm a member of and, you know, director of, but there are other organizations like Australian Information Security Association, ISC Squared, 
you know, others who, who have a lot of good content. I think those memberships help you grow and help you kind of solve some problems which other organizations have tackled. Uh, and then there are government resources. I think in Australia, we've been fortunate to have government to spread out a lot of good uh, cyber uh, awareness and cyber information materials. Uh, be Stay Smart Online, Scamwatch, I mentioned eSafety Commissioner. You know, we, there's so much free content out there, absolutely free and really good content out there. So I suggest we should look at, we should not feel isolated and try not to solve this problem in isolation as a security team. I mean, there are people willing to help and, and people within organizations outside who, who we can absolutely leverage. Yeah, no, great, uh, great points. And, you know, we, we've sort of talked about this a little bit earlier. And it's an idea that I'm a big fan of the, you, I think you described it as just in time training. And, you know, there's this idea of when you've got a, call it a coachable moment or a learning opportunity, that's really the best time that somebody can be presented with some sort yeah. of educational information. And, you know, there's kind of a repetition there. Um, what are some of the kind of practical ways that an average business can do that? I think you mentioned, you know, exec assistance earlier. But what, what are some other ways that a, a kind of a business could approach that just-in-time education? Well, look, I think it's uh, it, 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 there are a few practical things, you know, like when you're trying to change your password, having a banner there in a simple way, talking about, oh, if you had a password manager, uh, you wouldn't have remembered this password, you know, click here to download one. You know, that's a very simple example. But there are others where, you know, when it comes to collaboration tools or you know, when somebody's trying to, like a lot of organizations are now leveraging Office 365 or, or, or Google solutions for their collaboration, document sharing. I think having a clear kind of a, a banner there or a training pop-up there, which, which tells people, hey, did you know a lot of data breaches happen because people accidentally send emails to or accidentally share information, you know, use this data protection label here or mark this as confidential or double check the, the send address. I think those are, are the the areas which we can practically start doing now. And if you thought about what our key risks are and what are the outcomes we are trying to drive at, this becomes this becomes quite a useful exercise. Uh, one of the one of the things that you know I, I recently worked on is uh, getting people to start using uh, data protection labels. So you know in the organization I worked, it's basically if you use those labels not just the watermarks will appear, but also, you know, it'll be encrypted by default, it'll have access permissions by default, and all of that is fairly frictionless because all people need to do is click on click on a, a label icon and, and just mark the thing as confidential. But, you know, it's not intuitive. It's, it does not happen automatically. Uh, and, and that's where, you know, having those kind of just-in-time training, people don't need to learn about that in the induction training, right? I mean, it's fine, we can talk about it maybe, but when they will actually need it is when they start using it. And just before an email, if a quick pop-up comes up, you know, don't have to annoy people, uh, but, you know, at least showing them the first time they're logging onto a system or, you know, maybe refreshing that every few months. I think that helps. So basically those those are the things I'm driving at. It doesn't have to be complicated. It can start with something as simple as the things I've talked about. Yeah, phenomenal. And all of the things we've talked about so far, they're all going to need the support of senior management, of the Exco. You're going to need the support of the people who are going to buy into and sign off on a program of works for change management or awareness training. Like the the million dollar question is how do you how do you get the buy in and the continued yeah. buy in from senior management? Well, that's that's the key one, right? I mean, without that, nothing nothing is going to succeed. Uh, and and this is where uh, I all of these rules, you know, in a way, are linked. 
And it all comes back to remember how we talked about, you know, what happens if the organizational objectives or awareness objectives are not achieved. And I talked about the fact that, you know, at some point the funding is going to come in question. And, and, and executive support is not just about funding. It's also about walking the talk and actually being visible and advocating security practices openly. Uh, how do you get that is, you know, I think that starts with engagement at the right level. And it starts with clear tying in with our strategic organizational objectives. Uh, and, and security needs to do a better job of that. We cannot talk in, in generalities about these type of issues. If our objective is to, you know, hypothetically uh, be future-proof by leveraging best-in-breed of emerging technologies, well, security needs to kind of show how they're going to tie into this picture. Well, probably by, you know, changing our operating model or changing our advice model. And, you know, uh, I think that that's the kind of conversation that needs to go into security's own strategy and principles. So once we create that linkage, that helps get the initial buy-in. But then we also need to kind of progressively through our reporting, need to demonstrate how our efforts and investments are shaping up. And that's where, you know, the smart objectives and, and metrics will help, you know, what gets measured gets managed, what gets managed shows value. And I think that's where you start showing value uh, so that needs to happen. But then the, the execs also and the senior leadership also need to be visible and they need to talk about security, not just in generalities. Again, I think they need to be seen doing specific things. And I've kind of talked in the book, you know, like have them indulge, like have them show security practice, maybe how easy it is to download, you know, uh, a secure app on their phone. Uh, if you when people see this in action, I think that drives the right outcome. Uh, and and look, if we in some industries, there is a concept of safety moments, right? Especially, you know, in the energy industry where people take physical safety very seriously uh, through the years when because we've had people in the field in many of these areas. I think that same idea coming in where if you start a meeting, you know, and you talk about, you know, an online safety moment, for example, I think it's a powerful message we're sending. So I think it, it's, it's, it's a two-way street. One, we need to demonstrate value as security professionals, but then I think the other side is equally important. They need to understand the, the senior leadership needs to understand that how critical they are, their role is in this picture, and they need to be seen visibly actually exhibiting these behaviors. Fantastic. So I think we've jumped from the the sort of microscope into the helicopter, and I think that's a, a perfect <laughs> a perfect place to to finish. I think uh, we can we can yeah. tie a bow on that and uh, call that done. Um, sure, I, I want to thank you. Um, so much for taking the time out. I know you're obviously very busy and have a lot on, so it's it's very much appreciated um, that you've taken the time out to to talk to us today. And um, yeah, I look forward to continuing to to read more of what you write. Hopefully, there's there's more. Uh, I don't I don't know. Is there is there another book in the works? Do you think? Well, well, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, at this point I'm focusing a lot of my my work, and actually, you know, if you go on my website chiragdjoshi.com. Uh, I, I, I regularly post, you know, uh, webinars that I do. I'm actually starting to get more involved in, in kind of uh, un deep, well, untangling AI and machine learning and what it means for security. We've seen a lot of hype and buzz around it, but I think uh, people need to actually see what is real. I think that's really my my next uh, objective. So you'll probably hear me talking about that in the, in the near future. But look, I'm really, really grateful, Gar, for the opportunity to come and speak with you. And thank you to all your listeners uh, for this, you know, for listening to our conversation. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're most welcome. And we will include 
uh, in the show notes, a link to your website so people can go and find uh, yeah, where you're speaking. Um, and we'll obviously also include a link to, to the book as well, uh, which I can definitely recommend. Um, a really kind of well-written, well-put-together book. So um, that's it. We'll, uh, we'll leave it there. And thank you again, Chirag. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks so much to Chirag for the great conversation there. We'll include a link to his book, Seven Rules to Influence Behavior and Win at Cybersecurity Awareness in the show notes. So I'd recommend getting a copy of that for sure. And thank you for listening to the Get Cyber Resilient podcast. Our back catalog of episodes is growing, so please do have a listen to those. And I look forward to catching you on the next episode.